Last night, last night I took my two oldest kids to hear an amazing band. They were playing at uh, out in Andrews, and it was their last show. Not my kids, but the band that was playing. Um, my, my kids might be the last show I take them to too. But, but anyways, on, on the way back, it was just me and my son. I dropped my oldest off at a friend's, and so my son and I were coming back together. And my son loves to ask questions, right? I don't know if you got a kid like this or not, but loves to ask questions. He seems to always ask the kind of questions that I don't know the answer to. Like, it's like, I don't know, or why are you asking me this? Or ask your mom. Those are my usual answers uh, to him. But it got me thinking about questions our culture asks, that we constantly ask that we don't agree upon or we don't know the answer to. So I started writing down some of, some of those questions. Like, for instance, uh, when you go to a movie theater or you're on an airplane, who gets the armrest in between, right? I mean, that's a question we all want to know the answer to. Who gets it? Or how about when you re-rack the, the toilet paper, is it over or under? How many say over? Men. How many say Under. Women, right? Men are right, right? At least put it on the rack, right? Uh, how about when you go to a grocery store, right? And there's, you're like, there's two registers open and the line's really long. And all of a sudden that third lane opens. Like who gets to go first? And so you're like eyeing back and forth. Who gets to go next? And then some jerk who wasn't even in line just jumps in in front of you all, right? That, that happens. How about this? Do married people really live longer than single people? Or does it just seem like it's a lot longer, right? You know, which, which one is it, huh? Right? How about, how about is it okay for uh, adults to play Pokemon Go? That's a question we're asking ourselves right now. Yes, it is, huh? Uh, what about, like, when it comes to our faith, though? Like, what, what, what kind of, like, maybe where do you stand on the issues of today? Like, what side of the issue are you on? Or, or what church should you go to? You know, like, for instance, why are you here today? Like, what brought you here this morning? What was the reason you came to the Grove Church? Was it cinnamon rolls? Anyone, a few of you admit that? Nice. Our worship leader, thank you. Were you invited here, right? Were you invited? Where maybe your GPS routed you incorrectly and you ended up here or something. Or maybe you're, you heard about how much love there's here and you're on your honeymoon from North Dakota. Anybody? Does that sound like anybody? Yeah, look at that. On their honeymoon, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was random, right? Okay. <laughs> just... just so, um, but why, why do you, why do you come to church? Do, do you need to even come to church? Uh, and what does church have to offer us today? So question that we're going to be looking at is what is the role of the church? What is the church supposed to be? Are we the church that Jesus envisioned uh, in the, in the, in the first century? What would a, a community designed by Jesus even look like, right? Like would Jesus even come to, to this church um, a story about a, a young man. He shows up on the front porch of this church one Sunday morning. He, he, he wants to attend for the first time. And he sees these guys. They're decked out in their suits and ties and nice clothes. And he's wearing a t-shirt and jeans. And, and perhaps he has flip-flops on. But he comes up to the door. And um, the, one of the guys kind of pulls him over and says, Come here, I want to talk to you, man. He's like, he's like, hey, you can't wear that into this church. You know, Jesus wouldn't want you to wear that here Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to pray about what you should wear to this church. And then I want you to come back next week, all right? And so the week goes by and the same young guy, he shows back up and he's wearing the same thing. He's got his jeans and his t-shirt and his, his flip-flops. And that same guy is sitting at the door and he, he calls him over. And he's like, hey man, didn't I tell you to go home and pray and ask Jesus what you should wear to this church? And he says, I did. I, I, I did ask him. And the guy's like, well, what did he say? And the guy says, well, uh, Jesus said, I don't know. I've never been to your church. So... 
You know, and so. But in the story of God told by a tax collector named Matthew, which is the story that we're in, um, Matthew shows this where the religious culture is asking some of these questions about Jesus. A question that we still struggle with today and we have trouble answering or or, or agreeing upon. And so verse 9 of of chapter 9 is where we're going to be. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, Jody read from the NIV earlier. I'm going to read from the the message version and that's what's going to be on the screen behind us. Verse 9 says this. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. And Matthew stood up and followed him. And so this is what we, we talked about last week where um, Jesus is beginning his ministry and he's working around this uh, city called Capernaum. This is where he's from and, uh, and, and he's doing his ministry there. And um, he begins to recruit some of his disciples. And he walks past, past this tax collector's booth. And there's a man named Matthew sitting there. And Matthew is a, a tax collector. And Jesus says, look, you look like a disciple. Why don't you follow me? Now, if you remember from last week's story, these guys were the most hated of all people at the time, right? They had their own category. When we see in the New Testament where they mention tax collectors, they're, they're not lumped in with other sinners. They're tax collectors and sinners. There's, they have their own category, right? Like today, where we kind of walk into church and we're, you know what, like we say things like, well, at least I'm not a murderer, right? Well, back then, the murderers were like, at least I'm not a tax collector. You know, I mean, that's, that's how bad these guys were looked at. And Jesus looks at Matthew, the tax collector, and he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he follows Jesus. And so what's important about the invitation to follow Jesus? We said last week that the invitation was for everybody. It wasn't, hey, Matthew, if you stop doing this or that, then you can follow me. Then you can be a part of my my crew. It was this formal invitation to follow Jesus and belong to us. You and I, we've been taught that it's, it's, uh, if you change then you can join us. And many of you have grown up in churches like that. Well, Jesus is saying here, he's saying, hey, join me. Enter into relationship with me and follow me. And then change will happen. He says, come with your doubts, come with your questions. Uh, If there are patterns of sin in your life, uh, these things don't disqualify you from following me. But when you enter into relationship with someone, over time, things begin to change. The things you care about, will change. The things you value will change. How you spend your time and your money, it might not change in, in two weeks or in two months, but in over, over time, we know that uh, you, you will begin to love like Jesus. You will begin to love who he loved and be about the things that Jesus was about. And so that's what we talked about last week. And so today we're going to move into to verse 10. And it says this, later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers a lot, of um, disreputable disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? So a couple things to point out in there. One is that it says that there were many. The NIV says many tax collectors and sinners. So it wasn't like there was just one or two of them that stuck, snuck into this party, but there were many of them, a a bunch of them, a a house full of them. Now this act alone would have confused the disciples, right? This would have drove the religious crowd crazy. What do we know about the table and the meal in the first century? Well, we know that the table back then, the meal was very symbolic. 
Like being welcomed to a table for the purpose of eating food with someone. It became ceremonial, richly symbolic of of friendship, intimacy, and, and unity. And then there were these laws that they, they, they created that would forbid any rabbis like, like Jesus to eat with Gentiles or non-practicing Jews. Like doing such a thing would make Jesus ceremonially unclean. And if you followed faithfully this dietary regulations, it, it, was, it allowed the Israelites to, to, to um, not enter into intimate relationships and share, share meals with other people. Like this, the food laws not only symbolized cultural boundaries they set up, but Gentiles would eat this and, and Jews would eat this. And that also created for them this way uh, for the religious people of God the, uh, to create division with, with people on the outside. And now this, it had to be like the disciples' worst nightmare in this moment. Like they knew that this was going to happen sooner or later, right? The, the moment Jesus invited Matthew to follow him, Peter, who always struggled with the Gentiles, he was probably like, hey, Jesus, me and the other guys, you know, we were thinking, you know, this guy, Matthew, you invited him to hang out with us, right? We're not sure if you knew this, but the dude's a tax collector, man, right? And we know you're God, and, and, uh, but we're not sure that this might be the smart thing to do. Aren't you worried about your reputation, Jesus? And if this guy's a tax collector, a liar, a cheater, he's a traitor to his own people. Everyone knows who he is. This is going to make us look bad. They said, like, Jesus, you're inviting him to do life with us, to travel with us. You've accepted him into our community. Aren't you worried about what the others might say? You know, Capernaum, is a, it's a small town, right? You know people are going to talk. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. And you're going to really love this, Peter, because we're going to go to his house and we're going to have dinner with him, right? And they're like, no way, Jesus, we can't be seen there. His friends might show up, uh, other tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is like, yeah, a lot of them, right? And so the religious leaders, they didn't understand this. They didn't get this. The, the, they were bothered by it. Religious people weren't supposed to mix with those kind of people. Those types of people are not supposed to be in the church. We've created laws to keep us separated from those people. And think about this question just for a second, personally. When was the last time you made the religious people around you uncomfortable about the people you were having dinner with? When was the last time you made the religious people uncomfortable about the, about the people you were hanging out with? Here's the thing about Jesus. He was unbelievably comfortable being around people who were not like him. People who didn't have the same beliefs, the same morals, the same values, the same mission. And even crazier, people who were nothing like Jesus loved hanging out with him, right? And I'm not so sure exactly what it was. Maybe he was just so comfortable with who he was and what his mission was that it just felt natural to be around the guy. Our mission at this church reads like this. To see Irreligious people become fully transformed followers of Christ. In other words, non-believers, people far from God, people not in relationship with God. We want to see that change. Well, how many people in your current circle of friends did I just describe? Maybe the reason some of us are uncomfortable around messy, broken people is because that's not why we're here, right? That's not our individual mission. That's not why we go to church. For some of us, we're just not on that mission. Church for us is is a place to hang out. It's a hobby, a a social club, maybe a a place to get fed, right? A place to find a bunch of people just like me, 
a place to judge, maybe a place to fulfill my church attendance record. And now you're like, pastor, you're, you're messing it all up. You're asking us to serve. You're asking us to, to give money, to make friends with irreligious people. I just want to come and be, be seen at church. Church for us should be a place where we can invite people to explore what a relationship with God looks like. Because remember, the invitation to follow Jesus was for everybody. And Jesus, unbelievably comfortable being around people who did not have the same values, did not have the same morals, did not have the same beliefs, did not look, smell, act, or talk like a Christian. Jesus was comfortable with that tension. In fact, he created the tension. So if you're here this morning and maybe there are patterns of sin in your life, and then you haven't just you haven't been able to break free from, or maybe you have doubts or questions, like huge questions about faith and about God and about life, and you truly believe that if people here knew that about you, they would not be comfortable around you. Or they might already know that about you, and they're probably already uncomfortable, and, and you believe that they don't want you here. If you think that we're not comfortable with you being here, you need to know this. That is our problem, not Jesus's. Jesus would not be put off by your sin or your doubts or your questions. But Jesus would be unbelievably comfortable being around you. And the invitation to follow him is for everybody. And he's inviting you into relationship with him. And Jesus has a totally opposite strategy to forming community than than we do. You see, when we form community, we have this checklist, right? We have these rules and criteria that need to be followed, that need to be met first. Like we have to have the same values, the same economic bracket, the same politics, the same color, the same beliefs, the same whatever. We don't want that tension in our relationships. But here's the thing. If you've ever been in community or in a relationship like that, even with a lot of love, there's going to be tension. So whether it's your family or your coworkers or your circle of friends, someone will do or say something that you don't agree with. It might be politics or ideology or faith, but there will be tension. We all have people we are close to that believe, act, and vote differently than you. But we don't break relationship with them. Jesus purposely did this and i want to do this in community it's not always full of tension right but if we're following jesus's strategy for community there's going to be tension at times and i'd be i'd be worried if there wasn't in fact so much so that my guess is and this is this is hard and this is the honest reality of of church life some of you here today won't stick around very long tension will make you so uncomfortable that you're like i'm out I, I can't handle it, and that's okay. You see, the disciples and people who were following Jesus, they walked away from him all the time, and, and he was Jesus, right? We saw that last week when we talked about the story in John chapter 10 where there were these disciples, and many of them walked away with Jesus, so many that Jesus turned to his 12, and he said, do you guys want out too? Do you want to leave too? And so as we do this, as there's tension in community, in broken relationship, what's, less, what's left for us is these awkward encounters at, uh, with people at Ingalls, right? Or, or at football games you go to, or, or maybe at the coffee house. I honestly think that's why some churches build coffee houses inside their church, so they never have to run into someone that's left the church, right? And I've said this since I've got here. We're not the best church in town. 
And we're not the only church in town. And I guess there, is a, there would probably be a good church for you out there. The Grove is not for everybody. But what I want to have happen here is to create a community where sometimes there's tension. And if you're looking for a community where everyone thinks alike, votes the same, dresses the same, believes the same, and acts the same, or in other words, everyone is just like you, this probably won't be the place for you long term. Because we must create an environment where people can belong before they believe. That was Jesus' design for community. This needs to be a place where people can think differently, believe differently, act differently. And where we understand that the invitation to follow Jesus is for everybody. This is why ministry is messy. And I want it to be messy. But here we must follow Jesus' example for creating community. And that's what I want it to look like. And that's what I want us to talk about for the next few moments. Some of you are here for the first time. You're maybe a guest. You were invited today for for Cinnamon Roll Sunday. Or some of you, maybe you're just slightly new and you're still kind of curious. What what is the Grove all about? And then for those of you that have been here for a while, uh, I want to kind of remind you of why we do what we do. And I want to look at some things Jesus did when creating community. And how our hope here at the Grove is to do the same. First, Jesus did three things here. First, Jesus declared, and we talked about this last week, that everyone was welcome. That was the first thing Jesus did. He invited everybody and anybody to follow him. We need to be a church that welcomes everybody and invites them in. And so for us, everyone's welcome at our church and to our community. If you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he comes off the mountainside. He just gave this this famous sermon on the mount, right? It's one of the most famous sermons of all time. Uh, And he, he comes out and he lives it out in front of his people. The first thing he does is he walks right out to the outcast, to the leper, right? And he heals the leper. He goes to the, the Roman soldier who was the outsider, the guy that was oppressing the Jews, right? And he heals his son, or a servant. And then, and then he goes where? He goes to Peter's uh, mother-in-law, right? And he heals her. Jesus goes to the, the outsider, the outcast, the, the insider, and he restores them. Because he said, all oh, were welcome. And here's the tension. The disciples didn't get it. The religious leaders of that day didn't get it. There were moments where they were embarrassed by it. Like at Matthew's house, right? Where Jesus intentionally created a community where at times... There was tension. And we don't know how to answer the questions the Pharisees were asking that day. We don't know how to answer the questions that some people are asking of us today. Why are they allowed in? Why why doesn't Jesus confront that person in their sin right away? Why did he ask that guy to join him? Jesus, he showed up on the scene in the New Testament. And he wrecked the religious systems that they had created. Systems that allowed certain people to to be in and systems that kept people out. And how did the religious people that day thank him? They gave him the cross, right? They, They killed him for it. You see, the issue deeply rooted in the heart of Judaism was the Gentile occupation in the promised land. Those people weren't supposed to be allowed in there. It was for us, not them, From day one, the people of God wanted the others out 
and just the people of God in. And again, this, there was this tension intentionally created by Jesus in the context of community. And so when you declare that everyone is welcome, this changes things. It took time for the disciples to get it. Some of them, they never got it. It's why they chose to walk away and to quit following Jesus. But some of them stuck around. And these guys, they developed the first church. And if you understood who was a part of the early church, most of us would be uncomfortable being around them. You see, the early church was filled with people who didn't look, act, love, live, believe, vote, dress right. And Paul preached unity to them. He says, you're to be one in Christ. Now listen, and this is important. Welcoming doesn't always mean affirming. Like everyone who walks through these doors, I will affirm as beautiful and wonderfully made. That they were created in the image of God. That God loves you enough to send his son to die on a cross so that your relationship with God could be restored. At the same time, I'm going to tell you that there are these destructive behaviors that lead to death. And we want to love you enough to tell you. So if your addiction is controlling your life, you're cheating on your taxes, you're cheating on your, your spouse, you're selling meth, or you gossip, or you, you worship idols, we're not going to affirm those things. If you're headed down a road that will eventually take your life, we need to love you enough to offer another route. See, community at its best is when it embraces both grace and truth. Community at its best is when it both uh, embraces both com- uh, grace and truth. And Jesus was the only one who perfectly embraced both of them. The rest of us, we, we, we tend to lean uh, to one side or the other, right? Either too much grace or, or too much truth and, and too much of one is lacking love. And what's more complicated is the fact that when we sway back and forth, right? Depending on, on the relationship we have with that person. Like when you give grace to the people you're hanging out with, but then you post truth all over your Facebook page, right? There should be a constant balance of both grace and truth. Too much of either one, then we're not fully loving people. No community will be perfect without an equal amount of both. But as a pastor... I make mistakes with this. Ministry, I said it was messy. And that's not an excuse. It's just being honest. If you remember the story in John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in adultery, right? And the law said that she was to be stoned to death. You see, Jesus, he was not turned off by her lifestyle. Jesus was completely comfortable with her. He offered her grace. He did not condemn her. Then he spoke truth. He said, be transformed. Because there's this sting to sin. And you were created for more than this. Everyone welcome doesn't mean everything is affirmed. But there's no room for judging. No room for exclusion. No room for reducing people to a label. You're not healthy or you're not spiritual or you're not whatever. And when I say you're not, the implication is is that I am, right? And Jesus says there's no room for that. Just love people. That's all I'm asking you to do, and I will handle the rest of it. And you and I, we've heard it said before that we need to love the sinner and hate the sin. Unfortunately, that's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, Jesus never never says that. Christians love to say that, right? Church people, we love to say that. I was taught to say that in church. 
What Jesus did say, though, was love the sinner and hate your own sin. And when you take care of your own sin, then you can come back and we can talk about their sin. But I don't think many of uh, today's Christians uh, would have dropped their stones in that story, right? I think most of us, we probably would have put the stone back in our pocket waiting for the next opportunity to throw it. Could there be a Jesus community that could be so relentlessly loving that people who gave up on church a long time ago, people who thought they would never, never be caught dead there in the same room with people who were differently uh, racially, ethnically, culturally, economically, sexually, morally, generationally different? Could people like that say, I don't know if I believe everything the church believes, but I do believe that this would be a safe place for me to explore this invitation to follow Jesus. Could that happen here? Well, it starts with everyone's welcome. But you need to know this. This makes church messy. We live the idea of being a place uh, that, well, I'm sorry, we love the idea of being a place where, where we're welcoming everyone. We love that idea. But to be it, that's like a whole another ball game, right? Because there will be tension. You will be uncomfortable. And you're not going to know what to do at times. Just know and trust that we're trying to create a community where people can explore what a relationship with Christ looks like and journey together. I'm going to ask Jody, can you, my office, there's a blue book. I'm, uh, it's an AA Bible. Will you grab that? I need it for the next point. And we're not gonna go. So just kind of talk amongst yourself until she, she gets it. It's unlocked. I've been thinking of how am I going to do this? I don't, I didn't memorize it. So I'm going to, all right. So welcoming everyone. The second thing that we see Jesus do and in this part of how he creates community. He invites us to admit our messiness, right? Or, or admit our brokenness. To be honest about all of our brokenness, that we're not there yet, that, that I'm not there yet. But let's not forget, we're all sinners saved by grace. We all come to Jesus the same way. But for some reason, we think that the starting point with me following Jesus is if I, if I try harder, right? Or if I pray more, if I, if I read the Bible more, if I give more money or serve more, those are, those are important things. But it's very simple. What we need is we need more humility, Right? We need to be able to say that I'm a mess and I need God. So I want you to do a favor. Look at the person next to you and say, You're a mess and you need God. Do that. Ah. Pretty easy, right? Pretty easy. Some of you point fingers. All right. Now, okay, hold on. Now look at them and say, Now look at them and say, I'm a mess and I need God. Ah. That's a little, little harder. Not as many laughter going on. Thank you. See, we love to tell people about their mess. We love it. We love to point out people's mess, right? But to confess our mess, not so much, right? Chapter two in the Alcoholics Anonymous Bible. I want to, I want to read this, this paragraph to you. Um, and I see how this kind of maybe de- describes us a little bit. It says, we are average Americans. All sections of this country and many of its occupations are represented, as well as many political, economic, social, and religious backgrounds. We are people who normally would not mix. But there exists among us a fellowship of friendliness and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. 
We are like the passengers of a great liner, the moment after rescue from shipwreck, with camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table. Unlike the feelings of the ship's passengers, however, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go into our individual ways. The feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. What a great description of the Grove Church, right? That we are a group of people that normally wouldn't mix, right? But we gather under the understanding that we are a mess and we need God. And our brokenness is what we share But it's Christ that unites us together. You see, the early church, they understood this. The church in Galatians, where they say there was no Greek or Gentile. There was no man or woman, no slave or free. What Jesus is saying is that there's a better description for all of us. It's that we are one in Christ. We are all a mess and we all need a savior. But we do it in community because left on my own, I will serve myself, I will follow idols, I will medicate my pain, greed will enter into my heart, and guilt will control my thoughts, and then my ego will rule my life, because I'm a mess, and I need God. And if you don't think you're a mess, stick around, there are a few people here who would love to point it out to you, right? We can help you figure out your mess, okay? First John, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us because we are a mess and we need God. And this doesn't usually play out on Sunday mornings, but in our relationships, in our small groups that we talked about earlier, when we get around the table and we break bread and we talk together. So we encourage all of you to be a part of a group. Admit that you're a mess. Admit that you need God. People are opening up their homes to messy people just like them who need God. And lastly, I'm going to close with this. We need to communicate the message of hope that anything is possible. Or we should just go home. Verse 12 says, Jesus overhearing shot back. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Truth is, I can't fix you and and you can't fix me. So if we don't tell people about the one who can, why are we here? And this is why I I, I love the church. Because we can offer hope. You and I will never know what's going to happen inside of somebody when they get into a relationship with Jesus. He might use them to change the world. There was this transformation that was happening to Matthew where walls were breaking down. That a second chance at life was given to this tax collector. And it all started with the invitation to belong to community. We are creating an atmosphere of hope for the broken. Where there was death, we want to help give life. Watch this video. You were once a prisoner, held captive by fear, by prejudice, by sin, anger, addiction. But here's the thing, 
that prison no longer exists. Those walls have been torn down. What once held you captive now lays in ruins. You have been set free, redeemed, renewed, and God continues creating by bringing your soul to life. Where there was a prison, there is now a playground. Where there was despair, we find a wellspring of joy. Where there was death, we are given life. Christ has set us free. So live in that freedom. Lift your voice. Clap your hands. Find your joy. And set it free. For you are a prisoner no longer. Real quick, I'm going to invite Liz to join me. Um, Here's a quote by a pastor by the name of Robert Rutherford. He says this, he says, my two worst addictions I ever had were cocaine and religion. One stole my heart, blurred my mind, took my family, depleted my funds, destroyed my dreams, made me paranoid, taught me to hide and ruin my life. The other was a white powdery substance. (laughs) Religion done wrong can kill. It can destroy families and friends and it steals our joy. And I don't know what your church experience has been like. If it's been marked by law and rules and legalism or truth and grace and freedom. Or if it felt like a a prison or maybe an open space to explore. But our job here is to love God and love others. And that love should compel us to see people not for who they are today, but who they can become tomorrow. And deep down in all of us, we want to be fully known and fully loved. But we're afraid that if we're one of those, then we can't be the other. If we're fully known, then people won't love us. Or if they love us, it's because they don't know us. But in Jesus, we are both. And our job as the church is to give people hope. Church's job is to remind people of that and to give hope. You can change. Your past is not your future. And how can that be? Well, the cross says so. I'm going to invite Tim. He's going to close us, give you an opportunity to worship with our giving. And then Liz has prepared a song.